light. It remains one of the greatest achievements of mankind. A good pilot respects his plane. He checks and double checks every aspect of it to ensure its soundness. Much like an airplane, our lives have gauges that indicate the condition of our lives. We must respect them. We must check them and double check them to ensure that we are rising to new heights. This we are calling Altitude Assessment. Now, right at the outset, and Pastor Ty alluded to this, I, I want to remind us that whatever you hear in the message today, you need to remember that His love never fails. His love never fails. That, that's a great song to lead us into the message for this morning. Now, uh, we've been talking about different gauges in an airplane and, and how those are similar in, uh, to, to gauges kind of that we have in our own lives. And this morning, uh, we're going to talk about a gauge that is one of, now there are lots of important gauges in an airplane, mind you, but, th- but this gauge that we're going to talk about this morning is one of the most important gauges that you can ever look at in an, in an airplane, and it is the altimeter. It's the, the one gauge that tells you what the altitude of your aircraft is. Now, something that, that some who, who don't fly or don't operate an airplane may not understand is how an altimeter works. Um, an altimeter is set to the, barometric, the current barometric pressure of, of the area, and, and it, 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 the, the barometric pressure changes as you go up in the air, and that's what changes the altimeter to tell you how high off of the ground you are. Now, another thing that is extremely important to remember in an altimeter is an altimeter tells you your altitude, MSL, which stands for mean sea level. There's another kind of altitude, and that's AGL, that, that's above ground level. And, and those are important distinctions to be made because, you see, when you're sitting on the, on the tarmac in Cheyenne, Wyoming, your, alti- your altimeter says 6,000 feet. That is your altitude according to the level of the ocean, mean sea level. You are 6,000 feet above sea level. Now, when you leave the ground, that then becomes your above ground level altitude, which is not read on, on the instrument itself. You do the math in your head according to your um, your topo maps that you have, you know how high certain things are. You have to know the altitude of the land so that you can be safely above where you need to be above. For instance, um, I flew over Devil's Tower one time. And if you're going to fly over a, na- a national historical site, you have to be at least 500 feet above whatever it is you're flying over. So I had to know how high that was and then add 500 feet. And that's how high I was allowed to be. Okay? Now, if you mess those up or you don't do your math correctly, for instance, you get um, caught in some fog or some clouds, uh, which I have to avoid because, you know, I'm, I don't think there's anyone in this room that's instrument 
rated. Is there, do we have any instrument-rated pilots in the room? All right. Um, we don't. It's, it's all visual. You know, we have to be able to see the airport to land the plane. And uh, if, for instance, your IFR uh, certified and you're flying in the fog and you miss how, what your actual altitude is by a couple hundred feet and you think you're actually a couple hundred feet higher than you really are, what's going to happen? You're going to crash the plane. So it's extremely important to know the difference as a pilot between AGL and MSL. And spiritually, what we tend to do in our lives is we tend to compare ourselves to other people. That, I think, would, would be sort of the AGL version. We, we find the worst person we can think of and we say, well, I'm not so bad, I'm better than so-and-so. When in reality, what we need to be comparing our lives to is the mean sea level. What, what the actual thing is, and that's Jesus Christ. He is the one that we've been talking about, haven't we? Who we have to center our life on. Okay? God is not our co-pilot. He is the pilot. And we are somewhere in another seat somewhere else, not flying the plane. We have to leave control up to Him. Okay? But, but there are actions that we must take as believers in Christ. And Paul is leading us into that as we begin in Colossians in chapter 3 this morning. So if you would turn to Colossians chapter 3, we're going to be going through these this, um, a few verses at a time. And we're going to talk about altimeter alignment. Now, another important aspect about it, and I mentioned it briefly, when, you, when you're sitting on the ground before you go up in the air, you have to you have to check the local barometric pressure so that you can set the dial to the correct barometric pressure on your altimeter so it reads properly. So that's what we're doing this morning. We're, we're setting our altimeter. We're aligning it with what God says that needs to be uh, true in our life. Okay, Colossians 3, beginning in verse 1. Paul says, since then. Okay, in, in common Wyoming vernacular, we might say, see how... Okay, seeing how you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Paul is continuing to lay out the truth of Jesus Christ. Christ. Paul is laying out doctrine and theology for us as it pertains to who Jesus is and who we are in relation to Him. He's combating against false teachers of the day. There are people in Colossae that are trying to draw the Christians away from the truth that the apostles have taught. And Paul is saying, you must listen, you must stay grounded to the truth of Jesus Christ. And he continues to drive home the fact that Jesus is the only way. And he is not, not simply the only way. He is the best way. For this is very good news here in the first four verses of chapter 3. Now, now Paul ended chapter 2 reminding us that we have been set free from the dark powers of the world. The, the chains have been broken. And that if we are in Christ that our old ways have in a sense died with Him. They have been taken to the grave and we can now live with a heavenly altitude. We can live with the truth of the things above. So the first point in your notes this morning is a heavenly altitude. The things above. 
And there's four things that Paul points out. And, and because of these truths here that he points out to us, we can focus on the things above. It's a whole new perspective, in fact. The, the things aren't so great on the ground. We have limited visibility of things on the ground. You know, if any of you went to the, went, went to the corn maze just west of town over here, okay, unless you looked at a picture of that corn maze from a higher above altitude, you had no idea what it really looked like, did you? You had to see a picture of it. We are limited to our visibility here on the earth, even spiritually and in life as well. We can't see as far. And Paul says, don't live like you're on the ground. Paul says that we can focus on things much higher. And there's four reasons we can do this. The first one is this. We have been raised with Christ. We have been raised with Christ. Just as Christ rose from the dead, we too, who are in Christ Jesus, have been given new life. The old regulations are gone. There is new freedom. Jesus has conquered the powers that seek to keep us from God. The principles of the world, they're gone. We don't have to listen to them any longer. They're powerless. They seem logical. They may seem useful. But unless they point us to the true north in Jesus Christ, as we talked about last week, Paul says, don't turn your hearts to them. Don't turn your hearts to them. Set your hearts on things above, verse 1 says. And the fact that we have been raised with Christ is something we can set our hearts on. A second heavenly truth or altitude truth is the fact that Christ is seated with God. Paul continues to hammer the truth and the fact that Jesus is the Messiah. He is God Himself. Set your hearts on things above, Paul says. Jesus is holy, He's powerful, He's all-knowing, He's existed for all time, and He will never have an end. He is God. Now, I can't wrap my head around all of those things, but I do know that it is incredible. It's awesome that, that our God is so great and powerful that we can't truly describe Him. And, and as we do that, it should humble us and bring us to our knees before a holy God for who He is and what He has done. He has paid the price and, and He ascended back into heaven and now He sits on the throne of our kingdom at the right hand of the Father. But as this could be viewed as bad news for those who aren't in Christ, we need to remember that this is great news for those who are in Christ Jesus, for, for believers. Because as children of God, we are hidden with Christ. The third thing. We are hidden with Christ. We are concealed and safe. We are concealed and safe. Like a small bird hidden under the wing of its parent during a storm or a cold winter night, we are hidden in Christ. Think of yourself. Put yourself in the position of a young helpless chick not yet able to fly and, and there's a raging storm or blizzard or, or predators around but you are sitting under the powerful strong wing of Jesus Christ we are hidden in him protected secure safe John 10 28 through 30 Jesus says this I give them eternal life and they shall never perish no one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them, snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. High 
altitude things that we should think about every day. We are hidden in Christ. We are raised with Christ. He is seated with God. And finally, we will be with Jesus in heaven. Verse 4, When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Think about those words. If you are in Christ Jesus, you will be in heaven one day. You can be assured of that. The believer, having been covered by the blood of Jesus, is now acceptable, acceptable to God and welcomed in Christ's name into heaven. And there, in heaven, he may take his stand and be perfectly at home. Perfectly at home. Because that is where we have residence. This is great news. Because when we pass from this life to the next, there will be no more pain. There will be no more sickness. There will be no more struggle. Revelation 21.4 says it this way, He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Because these things are true. These things that Paul is communicating to us right here, Paul says we should set our minds on these things on things above. And not only is this something that we should do, but this is something that we are now able to do because we are in Christ Jesus. Don't set your hearts on earthly things, but let's set our hearts on things above. Now, Paul continues in Colossians chapter 3 with something that, that he does in every book. You see, Paul isn't content with just spewing out doctrinal and theological truth things about God, things about Jesus Christ, and not saying, okay, here is the truth. Now, then this is how you should live according to what I've just told you. Paul says that when we learn this and that our faith, it, it doesn't do any good to just know those facts unless there's transformation that occurs in our life, which then corresponds to our behavior and our conduct. The, the apostle doesn't call us to a new life until he's explained that well. But then when he has, he describes how that should work itself out in our very lives on a day-to-day -day basis. Paul is, is not a mere moralist. He's not just saying you should live this way. It's, it's not, well, we don't seek to live this way or a certain way because we can get to heaven we are saved by Christ, and because of that, we are obedient to the commands that He gives us in His Word. There, there can't be substantial goodness in our lives without godliness. So when our lives have been aligned with Jesus Christ through faith, there is an eternal change, or there is an internal change that takes place that will cause our external behaviors then to come into alignment with what's going on in our hearts. In fact, Paul says that we must take an active part in aligning our behaviors with this newness in our life. Then the rest of the actions during the flight need to match up with what he wants. To, to seek the things above then takes us to the very summit of Christian experience. And it, it, is, daily, it is to daily hold fast to Christ as the center and source of all joy. It is to enter into his courts 
with thanksgiving and praise. And it is to do everything that he has commanded. So, Paul says, let's get a little practical here. Look at verse 5. Paul says to put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. It's time, Paul says, to align your altitude with Jesus Christ. So number two in your notes is altitude alignment. Put to death what is earthly in you. And I'm not sure Paul could get any more practical than what he does right here. Some people wonder... You know, I I just don't know what to do to be obedient to God. Well, you're hearing something this morning. These are things that he wants us to be obedient to. And Paul says, these things that I'm listing here, you need to put these to death. You need to put these to death in your life. We should be dead and unresponsive to these things. Write that down. We should be dead and unresponsive to these things that Paul is communicating to us here. Dead and unresponsive. And these are things that are rampant in our culture today. Things that, as we saw last week, fall into the principles of the world. Because the world says, if it feels good, do it. The world says, my body is my own and I can do with it what I want. The world says, Why can't a man marry a man and a woman marry a woman? They aren't hurting anyone. It's just another way of doing things. Those are the things that the world says. And I'm sorry, but the Bible says those are not things to do. They are counter to the message of God. We are to put many of the things that the world tempts us with and says are okay to death. Paul says put to death sexual immorality. Now, I want to say up front that this passage is not against sex. Okay? This passage is not against sex, but the perversion of sex. Some in our world today would say that sex in any form is to be avoided, except, I guess, for procreation purposes. I'm not sure exactly how you could avoid it except for that, but, but the Bible itself often celebrates sexual intimacy and pleasure. But biblically, it is within a heterosexual, monogamous marriage. That's God's way. That's God's way. We are to put to death sexual immorality and impurity. Basically, to simplify it maybe even further, Paul is saying this. If you're having sex outside of a committed marriage relationship, you need to stop. You need to put it to death. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4 says, Marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. So if you're sleeping with your boyfriend or your girlfriend, you need to take action and you need to stop. You need to put that to death. If you are married and you are being attracted or your affections are being drawn away by another person, you need to stop the train right now. You need to put that to death. You must break it off. Seek God's forgiveness, repent of it, and turn from it. 
Because you, if you're engaging in that time, kind of behavior, you are losing altitude fast. Choosing to engage in this kind of behavior is not seeking the things above. In fact, sexual sin and perversion will, will literally drain us of our energies and it will draw us away from God. Put to death sexual immorality. Paul says, put to death lust and evil desires. Now, lust and evil desires. Lust is sinful longing. Sinful longing. And Paul says to put it to death. <clears throat> he says these kinds of desires are evil. That's, that's why when we try to fulfill them, we don't feel so good. We have to hide and sneak around. And, and when you take every opportunity... At the computer, for instance, to go to sites you know you shouldn't. It doesn't feel that great. At least at first. Do it long enough and your heart will grow hard to that. But it's destructive in your life. And, and I believe what we're hearing today is a wake-up call for every one of us. It's a wake-up call. Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, Guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. We are to guard it. We are to view things from above. Now, putting them to death and guarding our hearts, it takes action. In the culture of today, we have to be proactive in this because it is accessible everywhere. It's accessible everywhere. Pornography is rampant and available. Movies and television... Shows readily, are readily accessible by anyone of any age. We have to take action. Let's hear the word of the Lord and not sit idly by any longer. If you are here this morning and you view pornography on a regular basis, today is your wake-up call. Put it to death. It is only destroying your life. Now, I, having dealt with this with a number of people, that specifically is a hard thing to put away, to put to death. So you're going to need some help. You need to trust someone. You need to trust someone with the information that you've been choosing to do that, and you need to ask them to help you overcome this. First of all, of course, you need to repent of it and go to God. He already knows. You can't hide anything from Him. But you need to take the first step in putting it to death. Give me a call. Give me a call. Uh, I have some tools that can help you. One of those I'm going to put up on the screen here. It's called CovenantEyes.com. It's a website. There's some information on there about how destructive pornography really is in your life. And then there's a tool that you can download onto your computer that will keep track of every website that you go to. And it will send a report, however often you end up choosing to send the report, to the trusted friend that you have who has said, I will stand with you and help you overcome this in your life. And they can look through that. And they can check out the websites that you've been to. So they can come to you and say, hey man, this is not good. And then in the back of your mind, you can be thinking, if I go to this website, what's going to happen? It's going to get reported, and my good friend's going to see it. 
You need that accountability. What you don't need to do is to continue to let it exist in your life, to continue to choose that way. Paul says, put it to death. Don't make excuses anymore. Uh, Radio personality Paul Harvey tells the story of how an Eskimo kills a wolf. The account is grisly, yet it offers fresh insight into the consuming, self-destructive nature of sin. You see, sin will take you further than you ever intended to go, and it will keep you there longer than you ever want to stay. This is how an Eskimo kills a wolf. First, he coats his knife blade with animal blood and allows it to freeze. And then he coats it again and allows it to freeze, and coats it again and allows it to freeze, until that knife blade is completely covered and concealed in frozen animal blood. And then he goes out and he sets that, um, he anchors it down into the snow so it's visible. And he leaves it there. And a wolf with its keen sense of smell smells this fresh animal blood and goes and begins to lick the blood off of this knife. And he begins to lick faster, more and more vigorously, lapping the blade and then until the keen edge of that blade is then visible. And as he continues to lick the blade, it cuts his tongue. And as he continues in that insatiable need and desire for blood, it turns warm and he doesn't realize that it's his own. And he continues to lick and lick and lick until he is found the next morning dead in the snow. That's what sin does. It gets you hooked. And then it takes you further than you ever wanted to go. And it keeps you longer than you ever intended to stay. And its its sole intent is destruction in your life. And we have to take sin seriously. God does. We have to recognize that we can ourselves be consumed by our own lusts. And only by God's grace does that can we be kept from the wolf's fate. We can also have a sinful longing for material things, which makes it understandable why Paul mentions greed next. Paul says, put to death greed. Greed is the excessive desire for wealth and possessions. Just like sexual sin, greed also draws our hearts away from God and leads us down a road that is destructive. Whether it's greed for money, or greed for things, or greed for power. We see it too often in other people. We can point that out to... Uh, about another person, wow, they're really greedy. We can see it in the movies, and we can see logically and realistically that that person, the choices that they're making, is going to lead to destruction in their life. It's not going to end up good. Yet we many times overlook it in our own lives. You hear stories of men or women going to their deaths, maybe in the water, holding on to a bag of gold or something because they, they just can't let go of it. And somehow it's thought of being worth more than their own life. That's why Paul says in the end here that that it's idolatry. It leads to idolatry. We begin to put things above God. We begin to spend the majority of our time seeking after possessions and things in power. And we put them above God. It's idolatry. So we must do a personal assessment and see if there might be some greed in ourselves. 
And Paul says that we must take action and put it to death. Ephesians 5.3 says, But among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. God takes our sin seriously. We must as well. Uh, in Psalm 119, verse 9, the psalmist asks a question and then gives the answer. He says, how can a young man keep his way pure? How can a young woman keep her way pure? By living according to your word. The psalmist says, by living according to your word. God's word helps us, put these things, puts, helps us to put these things to death. Now, Paul also says we do an altitude alignment to put away the life we once lived. Number three, altitude alignment. Put away the life you once lived. Verse six, because of these, the things that Paul just mentioned, and, and I'm sure he refers to other things in other letters that he's written, the wrath of God is coming. Now, you used to walk in these ways, in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. And do not lie to each other. Before we had Christ in our life, before we were hidden in Him, we only knew sin. That's, that was our normal way of life. And at that time, we were confronted with the wrath of God. But Paul says it's not that way anymore. You are a new creation. Think about that as a past life. You don't have to act that way anymore. You don't have to choose those things. You are, in no, you are no longer in bondage to those things. It's different now. Now we must rid ourselves of what I'm going to call vocal sin. Let's kind of summarize those first words there at the end of verse 8. Vocal sin. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language. Paul says, rid yourself of it. Now, no one likes to be on the receiving end of this. In fact, if you've ever been on the receiving end of this, you can kind of sense the evil in the words that are being said. And when we have been on the easy end of that, it's not been very fun. Or even when we're just around that kind of language and attitude, it's not good. If these things Paul mentions here are a reality in your life, it's time to get rid of them. It's time to get rid of them. If you can't now, I'm looking at this list and I'm thinking, man, I, I experienced the first one this week. Maybe even the second one this week. I may have slandered the Denver Broncos a few times this week. But it's true. When I think about those last 15 seconds of that football game, it makes me angry. And that's kind of funny, but now put yourself in the bleachers of a high school girls or boys basketball game. And let's just say the refs aren't doing that great of a job in your opinion of officiating the game. What happens? We begin to get angry because we think that our team has been tre being treated unfairly. And, and then we hear a few other folks around us using their voices to tell the referees their dissatisfaction with the calls that they're making, and we get sucked into that. Anger. I, Paul doesn't say what kind. 
anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. It happens. Paul says, get rid of it. He says, get rid of it. Before we had Christ Jesus, we weren't hidden, and now we are. No more making excuses. No more forcing people to just deal with it. Come on, man, that's just the way I am. You need to realize this. No. No, there's no more excuses. It's time to put a stop to it. Ephesians 5.4, Paul describes it this way, Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. God takes things seriously. And as serious as you or I would take a child that is lying to us to our face, God takes seriously our sin. And then he says, rid yourselves of lying. Speaking of lying. Half-truth, little white lies, deception, misrepresentation. Paul says, don't do it. Rid yourselves of it. Re- remember Proverbs fourteen twelve from last week? There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. You've heard the phrase, liars never prosper. Well, sometimes it seems like they do, but in the end, generally not. Their sins, as my dad would say, will always find them out. What is your opinion today of Lance Armstrong? Not so good, is it? For 14 years, Lance Armstrong perpetuated a lie that he did not dope while racing in in bicycle races. He, He sued people that said he did and won for 14 years. People defended him. His family defended him. And then all of a sudden we find out that the worst kept secret was actually true. He was the ringleader of an elaborate doping scheme on a U.S. Postal Service team that swept him to the top of the podium at the Tour de France seven times. And now what's happened? He desperately needs the grace of God in his life today. He desperately needs to know what that is. He said in his, in his uh, interview with Oprah Winfrey, I'm a flawed character, he said. You know what, Lance? We all are flawed characters. We all need Jesus Christ. Oprah asked him, did it feel wrong? And Lance said, no. Scary. And then she asked him, did you feel bad about it? He said, no. Even scarier. And then she asked him, did you feel in any way that you were cheating? And he said, no. Scariest. He said, I went and looked up the definition of cheat. And the definition is to gain an advantage on a rival or foe. I didn't view it that way. I viewed it as a level playing field. He rationalized that everyone else is doing it. Why shouldn't he? Principles of the world. We can't rationalize sin, regardless whether it's a high-profile celebrity or a mom or a dad or a child or a businessman or a businesswoman, we must rid ourselves of this behavior. It's not acceptable. Take action this week. Don't let another day go by. And let's all get to number four in your notes, the cruising altitude. We are a new creation. 
Paul says in verses 9 and 10, Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its Creator. Let's live as we are. We are a new creation. Let's live that way. That's a good thing. As Christ followers, if you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, your citizenship is in heaven. You die today, you're in heaven. You die in a month, you're in heaven. Your citizenship is in heaven. It's a done deal. You have been redeemed. You are hidden with Christ. So Paul says, let's live that way. Let's live that way. The old self has been taken off. We no longer have to wear those clothes. Unfortunately, we choose to put them on once in a while. No! Let's leave them in the closet. Let's burn them. We are wearing the new self. We are no longer in bondage to sin. We don't need these things in our lives. Satan has deceived our culture into believing that bad is good and good is bad. That, that if, you're, if you aren't sleeping around and exercising your freedoms and rights, then you lead a boring life. Everybody else is doing it. That horrible language and getting revenge on other people is simply a logical reaction to what's going on around us. And that the almighty dollar and what it provides should be the driving force behind all of our lives. And that since everyone else is doing it, even if you have to lie and cheat to get it, well, that's just what we do. And God says, all of those things themselves Our lies. They're lies. And like wolves licking a cold blade covered in blood, we follow the lies to our death. Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians 5, 16, 17, and 18. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ in this way. We do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. We are a new creation. Let's set our mind on things above, because when we do, the things of this world will become very clear and we will know what we have to do. Paul is reminding us this morning to assess our behavior, to align our altimeters. And I want to remind you that when we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us of all unrighteousness for His name's sake. He promises us that. You have to remember that. You have to remember. Another way that we can attack these sins in a more proactive way is found in Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. Write this down. Philippians 4, 8 and 9. I want you to read through those this week as you're thinking about and you're assessing your own life and you're looking for ways in which you can look heavenly. Paul says, finally, whatever is right, whatever is poor, whatever is lovely, and he goes on, and the God of peace will be with you. And at the end of our passage this morning, verse 11, Paul says, here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, 
but Christ is all and is in all. We have to remember that God is the pilot. God is the pilot. In October 1871, the Great Chicago Fire destroyed much of the bustling city of Chicago, but surprisingly, the flames actually started on the other side of the Chicago River. So how did the fire cross over the river and reach Chicago? Well, the river jumping fire is partially explained by the high winds that spread the fire to wooden ships moored in the river. But there was also another even more important factor in the spread of the fire. In those days, the Chicago River was shallow, sluggish sewer for the entire city. The Union stockyards in Chicago dumped all their animal waste into the river. People called it the stinking river. Or, the, or Bubbly Creek. <laughs> it was so bad that the waste in the river was actually combustible. All of this putrefaction flowed then into Lake Michigan, where there were drinking water intakes for the city. Waterborne diseases broke out. Every year through the 1880s and 1890s, at least 10,000 people died from cholera and typhoid fever a year. In 1885, 14 years after the Great Chicago Fire, nearly 100,000 people died from illnesses carried by the river's putrid waters. So did they just continue life and say, yeah, it's a big deal, but you know... We don't need to take action. No, this is what they did. City engineers finally took action. First, they started digging 28 miles of canal. They moved more earth and rocks than were moved building the Panama Canal. They set in locks and gates. Then on January 2nd, 1900, a worker opened a sluice gate at Lake Michigan and the entire Great Lakes flowed into the Chicago River, pushing it a direction it had never flown. They reversed the flow of the Chicago River. It now flowed the opposite way into the canal, into the Des Plaines River, into the Illinois River, and into the Mississippi. This brought a huge flow of fresh water. Instead of shallow, sluggish, diseased water making the community sick, the river now brought the city life. Some writers argue that Chicago would not even be around today had the flow of the Chicago River not been reversed. The American Society of Civil Engineers named it one of the engineering projects of the millennium. Now, there's a similar principle at work in our relationship with Jesus Christ. But what Jesus does is even more astonishing than what they did with the Chicago River. You see, he reverses the flow of the human soul. Instead of the shallow, sluggish, diseased water, human sinfulness, Jesus has opened the sluice gates of new and living water into our lives. Isn't that great? And Paul says today in Colossians chapter 3, let's live that way. Let's live that way. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you.
thank you for those in this room who are in Christ Jesus, whom your Holy Spirit has reversed the shallow, stinky water of sin and condemnation to hell in our lives to a river flowing full of life and peace and forgiveness. And Father, I know in a room like this, Lord, I think probably every one of us today feels like we've had our toes stepped on. But Lord, I pray that we would not be discouraged by that, but, but we would see that you care so much for us. That you want to see us experience life in this life. And I pray that we would heed heed the warnings that you have given us today that, that we would truly assess and genuinely ask you to search our lives and root out any of these things that Paul says we should put to death. And may we May we calibrate our outfitters on you. May we soar to great height. And as we do, may your light shine on many people around us as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we close the service, the ushers are going to come forward and pass the offering plate. And if you're a guest, please just let the plate pass by, but drop those connect cards in the offering plate as it goes by and I invite you to stand to your feet as we close with this final song.